Hi. Uh, hey. That's a good question. Um, on the ear cleaning part, it's kind of interesting that they had some efficacy there. But various ear cleaning has been attributed to being quite pro-inflammatory in the ear canal. But did they address any of those comments at all in the papers that you read? The some of the ear cleaners that we use that have efficacy, some of those have also been found to be quite irritant to the ear canal. Yes. Was that found to be a, a factor at all? I don't it? remember that being mentioned. No, but clinically, I agree absolutely. Um, a lot. Some of the ear cleaners are quite caustic, and if you have a cut in your finger, then you soon find out which ones are and which ones aren't. I don't remember seeing that being mentioned. So maybe that's a whole other study that needs to get done going forward. Hello. Hi. Um, thank you very much. It's really interesting. I, I, um, I think the problem with the air cleaners is that um, the trouble is that the data is in vitro, and I think that's, you know, helpful and suggests, you know, we should look a bit more closely at what's happening. But there really need to be clinical studies with ear cleaners. I think the whole thing about ear cleaners is quite confusing because I think there's recommendations about using ear cleaners in, in conjunction with the topical commercial mm -hmm. topical preparations. And, but if you look at the studies, the topical preparations were never used together with mm -hmm. ear cleaners. They were used only with water or saline because the ear cleaners yeah. could interfere with them. So I don't think we really know very much about how cleaners interact with topical preparations. And the other problem sure. is that, as you said, the topical preparations are all combinations of an antibacterial and an antifungal and a steroid. So mm -hmm. it's kind of difficult to tease out the effect of you know, on just the malassezia. Mm -hmm. so, yep. um, I mean, my own experience from practice, absolutely. Um, the I tend, like, there's so many different aspects of your cleaners to think about. I'm, I'm thinking about Amy, my chocolate Labrador, and the fact I know she has malassezia down her ears, but I never clean them because clinically she doesn't have a problem. So I don't clean her ears. Um, and that was always my approach in practice was if there's not a problem, because owners will ask, how often should I clean my dog's ears? And I would say, just leave it. If we have a clinical case that has very mucky ears, then yes, I found that using the cleaner, and but yes, using topical therapy, trying to break it up during the day so as to give time for the, the cleaner to dissipate, mm. and then the topical therapy to get in contact with the ear was my approach, because, yeah, you don't know how much mixing and interaction is going on there. Um, and, yeah, absolutely, I agree that we have combination therapies, and I've just looked at specific drugs looking at, at malassezia. Um, from some cases that I can remember where we've, we've got to the point of culturing and we've just had profuse malassezias come back or I'm doing in-house cytology and I'm only finding malassezia, I'm not finding bacterial infections there, um, then I think that's, this is where this is relevant. And I have had some cases where they've been on a specific topical and it's still covered in malassezia and you change. The one that comes to mind was when Epiotic came out um, and we changed the ear treatment and the dog was better within a week. So that sort of kind of highlights that it is worth just thinking about that. But absolutely, I agree, it is so difficult. If you ever consider using, um, I mean, there are human ear preparations that contain only an antifungal. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that, is that an option? Uh, I've never got to that point. I suppose going through the cascade, then it is an option. Um, and something with that, yes, we need to think about. Um, maybe I, I tended to go more towards systemic therapy um, rather than going down the, the human side of things, but I don't see why not. Yeah. Okay.
Hello, thank Hi. you for a very interesting talk. Um, I just wondered if you could expand upon the idea of um, a commensal becoming a primary pathogen. Um, I mean, if it's a commensal, um, how does it make the leap um, to becoming yeah. a primary well, pathogen in its own right? When we're thinking about malassezia, when we think about the commensals, it can be commensal on the body, and then it might cause a problem down the ear, in the ear canal, because then it's in a slightly different environment. So that's a possibility. Um, there's also that other, the, the, the work that's been done, which comes from human work, looking at allergies to yeast infections, where an animal could develop an allergy to it. Um, and as a, a postgrad, I was particularly, I did my um, PhD on atopy, and that was one of the things I was particularly interested in. Um, but the joys with postgrads, you have to then come to an end and go and get a job. And I never was able to um, take that any further forward. But that is certainly a possibility as well. So it's really, it's the environment that it's in. And Malassezia in particular likes warm, damp environments like the basset. Um, and so you can have an animal where if their skin is cool and they don't have a problem, it's absolutely fine. But if that changes, so for example, my chocolate Labrador, if she comes in and all the heating's on in the house oops, and she gets quite warm and sweaty, then you can have the malassezia numbers start to increase and then it can cause a problem. So it's, it's stringing all of that together. Yeah, Does that answer? Because I think... Uh, certainly, it, overwhelmingly, uh, it, you know, secondary infection um, has been my experience, um, yeah. uh, you know, superimposed onto another yeah. underlying but, disease process. And so I'm just interested in the concept of how it could actually work, you know, mm -hmm. I, mean, I guess, yeah, translocation and then I suppose the cycle of perpetuating inflammation um, literally by you know the, the body's own allergy to that individual um, organism is really interesting. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, following, following on from that, um, did these studies define what they meant by cure? Because right. one of the problems is that you know you've got a, a, a microclimate in the ear which is ideal, like I'm in the incubator. Mm -hmm. um, and your, your point about not cleaning your dog's ears, I will say to clients, if your ear's not causing a problem, leave it alone. Because in the process of cleaning, you'll stimulate more wax production. You may then critically change the, the yeah. microclimate and encourage your mouth, or whatever else to, to start growing. Yeah. But the question is really, what's a cure? And, and is it yeah. only a, a temporary one and that you're going to have mm -hmm. repetition? That, that's definitely a possibility. Um, from my perspective, cure to me meant that they were clinically back to normal ears and we're off the treatment. But looking at the actual papers and the scoring systems, they were looking at improvement. And it was a, it was moving from a score of three to a score of one. And there wasn't any mention made about the fact that three weeks later, they came back, absolutely, um, which is the sort of common presentation of ears or the same time every year the animal will come back in with an ear problem. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a whole other area that needs to be looked at as well. It's just so big. Yeah. So you mentioned that might be a bit ignorant here, the different strains of manaceas, and you mm. found out that were treatment might work for one and not the other. Yeah. Do the laboratories routinely go to that strain when you, if you get to do an ear swab and a culture and sensitivity? I don't think they routinely do that. Um, I have had some conversations with the, the labs um, where if I specifically ask them 
to do that. They can go and do that. Um, I did a final year project on malassezia, um, and we had in the lab, we had what we called large colony and small colony. So they, we had ones that actually grew in different ways. So if you go back to the, the, the lab and just say to them, you know, could you just go back and have another look and see if you've got any differences, then they'll generally be really helpful. But as a standard answer, it's one answer that you'll get coming back from them. Yeah. Non-lipid dependent malassezia, yes. but I think yeah. that has been superseded by the thought that some just take longer to grow. Mm -hmm. So yeah. some labs will only put up culture for 48 hours, and you may get a negative yeah. at that point, but do not exclude malassezia at that point. Other laboratories will culture malassezia for five to seven days, if not slightly longer, mm -hmm. and they will therefore pick up the long yeah. incubation period malassezias. So, but whether they perform different clinically, I don't know, but yeah, that was yeah. certainly that's a good point. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.